Hello everyone and welcome to call a save point but not for me. Today we're going to be doing a quick save on philosophy. I am your host, Declan Verbencourt. I am your other host, Tully Hodgkinson. And today we are um, joined by a special guest, my uncle. Um, so if you'd like to introduce yourself. <laughs> I'm Matthew Price. Uh, I attend UWO for philosophy and biology. And I'm a casual gamer. Let's go. That's that's all we want: <laughs> casual gaming and philosophy. <laughs> we are. This is certainly not a competitive gaming podcast, so we're glad you stuck <laughs> yeah. with casual. Good because I'd have to go somewhere else. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no. We're we're esports. Uh, we're actually uh, Razer Gaming. <laughs> we're sponsored by Razer now, huh? Did you did you make this deal without me? Am I just not aware of this? Yeah, I've been doing a lot of signing. Um, basically, I changed the uh, the email over to my my personal. Gotcha. Um, so you you so you wouldn't get any of this. I could just you know sign it all. So. Uh huh. Yeah, just sign our souls away. Yeah, I get you. <laughs> I mean, if you're going to the A, you're signing away your life. So. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, and especially with all those uh, those new new um, uh, allegations uh, coming out. That's Activision Blizzard. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay, my bad. Uh, I, I don't, they, you know, to be honest, all these places kind of just meld into one when they're all, you know, uh, pieces of shit. But <laughs> true. Um, Still. So I, I wanted to ask you guys a question, right? So if okay. you have two games that have, you know, good graphics, good like gaming mechanics, um, they're not going to be like sh- super buggy like every bethesda game that comes out immediately um (laughs) what would set them apart do you think like what would be the deciding factor if all all else you know like the the well-formed games what would make you want to play one more and even when you're not playing it come back and think about it Um, to be honest, like the main factor for me are like believable and interesting characters in the world itself. Mm-hmm. What about you, Tom? That's 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 what I would go with. I think for me, the games that I find that like I come back to and the ones that I think about a lot are definitely ones that sort of lean into like uh, like an overarching theme in the story of the game, like. Uh, the Last of Us 2 kind of comes to mind. Uh, I don't necessarily agree with the message that game sends out, but it definitely kind of makes you think about it a lot because it it really strives to drive home the message that game tries to send, whether it, it fails or exceeds. So I think, for me, that's the kind of games that I tend to go back to and think of are, are games like that. So I agree. I, I think there are two deciding factors. One is addictive mechanics. So, like... A lot of roguelikes have that, you know, like you have to get farther, you have to get better. You know, you can just do this one little yeah. thing. You know, this this run will be different. You know, stuff like that. That that that's one thing. And that's mm-hmm. fine. Um, the other thing is, like you guys said, all of that, which I would say, I would argue, comes down to philosophy. So, what makes a good character, I think, is you know that you said they're believable, which means that they have morals they have, you know, complex ideas. They're not just two-dimensional. And with an overarching story with, like, a theme, especially like Last of Us, I haven't played that, but I know the premise. So there are decisions in that game that are tough, and they make you think. They make you step back and be like, okay, what do I want to do? And when you're done... You question, did I do the right thing? And mm-hmm. that has its core in philosophy. Um, you get a lot of, uh, you know, like, get a lot of uh, groups of people who will love a game and they'll talk about theories about and all of that. And all of that is because they all have different views, arguments on how it should be. And whenever you're asking a question like, "What ought we, what we ought to do, or what should we do?" that is a moral or philosophical question. 
and even like to go farther into it too, those storylines, you know, a lot of them have morals, but even still, like they go to outer reaching branches of philosophy. Um, have you guys played Bioshock? Yeah, yeah okay. for sure. So Bioshock is a great example because it literally is based off of philosophy. Um, mm-hmm. The first Bioshock, the guy you're after is Andrew Ryan. He created Rapture, right? And yep. the guy who is manipulating you is Atlas. Andrew Ryan is an anagram for Anne Rand who wrote Atlas Shrugged. What? <laughs> Hold on. What? <laughs> the, the character, Andrew Ryan, right? Yeah. His name is an anagram that spells out, we are Anne Rand. And Anne Rand is a... Mm-hmm. Uh, she's not really a philosopher. <laughs> she, she was a wannabe philosopher. She stole a lot of philosophy from other people, bastardized okay. it, turned it into shit, and put it out there. And when you play... Uh, Bioshock, you see Rapture in ruin. And that's because, mm-hmm. and there's argument if people, some people who love Anne Rand will say, oh, well, they're saying that Andrew Ryan messed up Anne Rand's philosophy. I think it's because Anne Rand's philosophy is shit, and if you actually followed it, the world would go to shit. Um, okay. <laughs> Coming out swinging. <laughs> this, this is a this is a anti Ayn Rand podcast. Oh, oh yeah. Always. Any okay? If you talk to philosophy majors, like ninety five percent of them will tell you Ayn Rand is shit. Anyone who reads philosophy casually, who starts off with Ayn Rand, will have a very skewed version of what philosophy should be. It, it, she was not a good philosopher. <laughs> <laughs> but right. that's what's great about the game, though, is that it, it is taking her points and showing how they can be easily perverted. She wanted a like unfettered capitalist market, which you see with the uh, plasmids, and you get a ton of addicts mm-hmm. and you get a ton of you know lunatics that are killing each other for plasmids. Right. Um. And then on top of that, too, she uh, argued that basically. You should be able to do whatever you want and use people for your means. And through the whole game, your character, everything that you're doing, is being used by Atlas. He is simply using you for his means. Right. And it, you know, backfires on him, one, but two, potentially could be even more disastrous for all of Rapture if he succeeded you know stuff like that mm-hmm. and that's the thing is like it, it's a good game because it takes an idea and just you know runs with it flushes it out it's based on that philosophy it's touching on morals it's touching on social and political philosophy um and it's hiding it from people in a way too so you're not actually like reading a book and thinking like oh i don't want to i don't want to ask these big questions you just end up asking them to yourself while you play it and going back and being like wait what i was being manipulated the mm-hmm. whole time how is that okay but yeah i mean like what's another game that you guys have been in where you know even even after the game is over you're still thinking about it uh man being put on the spot, I, I have to like look around like my surroundings and be like, "Wait a minute, where's the where's the game?" <laughs> um, well, um, we just recorded our or no, we just released. Well, I guess we also did just record, but um, our um, Spider-Man PS4. Um, episode and with that it's less on the uh the like choose choose or well not even choose i I guess it's it's like peter in the end um double cliff note spoilers here because we had to put spoilers in the last one um had to decide in the end whether to give this vaccine to uh aunt may or to make a cure for 
everyone else and uh you know that that kind of stuck with me uh more recently um thinking about it due to certain events Mm -hmm. (laughs) in real life Mm -hmm. (laughs) but um i mean yeah i i uh that stuck with me after i i beat the game not only the first time but this time so i think I'm, i'm gonna go with that for now if i think of another game i'll let you know but yeah, and that's um, um, that. That's you know the question of like altruism and uh, utilitarianism. You know, do do you do mm-hmm. what's in your best interest, or do you do what's in everyone's best interest? Do you help the one or the many? You know, right. like, like that's a big thing, and that that's something that we struggle with all the time. And that, that that's a question that isn't just black and white. You know, with the Spider-Man, that may I argue, you know, like if there's it's one versus millions, it's pretty easy. But then when you get to a smaller thing, it, it gets more complicated. Right. But, and it, it's always harder for the person deciding than, you know, like the group. someone on the outside can say, well, yeah, no, you should have helped out the millions, but the person mm-hmm. in the instance, it, it, it's, you know, a heart wrenching thing. And that's because yeah. we do have preset notions. What about you, Tully? Is there a game that you uh, like constantly go back to, think about? Like, f- what if? Yeah, so the first game that comes to mind is a, a small little indie title called The Outer Wilds. Um, but the problem with talking about this game is I don't, I can't, I like, I, I really don't want to spoil it because in order to really, like, in order for the gravity of the ending of that game to really set in, you have to play it, but, um, I guess what I'll touch on briefly is like, you know, um, for those who don't know, the premise of the game is I think it's every 15 or 20 minutes, like the game resets, like you're on a constant time loop and you are like going throughout this like small solar system you're in to, you know, learn the secrets of this, this alien race that once inhabited your solar system in a sense, like disappeared. Right. And throughout the entire game, the more like knowledge you gain and the more you figure out like why the time loop is happening and like with the ending of the game which again I'm gonna do my best not to spoil but it just like the totality of it all is very much so like it almost makes you feel like I guess in a way the way I would describe it is it's like no matter what you do inevitability is obviously inevitable but it almost makes you feel okay with it in a very strange way. And that game, when I finished that game for the first time, that was the first game where I like, I just sat there for like half an hour and just like stared at the the title screen of this game, like just completely blown away with how like deep and impactful that the ending of this game was. Cause it's just so like, it's very like, it feels very much so like, everything and nothing at the same time if that makes sense yeah mm-hmm. and um you know that's the thing is like we always people look at philosophy and they think like oh that's that's a complicated thing but it's really not like that is something that we want we want to ask those questions we want to be in that like state of awe like when you're staring at that screen for 30 minutes you know mm-hmm. and it, it's because we do seem to desire something more and it's you know cases like that that make a game to me great um another one to uh is uh numina or numa sorry um if you, have you guys ever heard of that one a, i uh, don't believe so no okay so it's, no i haven't heard of that either it's a like indie game um i think it was like in 2000 14 or 15 um but it's basically a a puzzle game and set in kind of like a greek um olympia like booking uh style and you're the only character you're going through these puzzles and um uh, spoiler alert i guess um so your character starts off questioning where they are they are voiced and you know like they're like where am i where's everyone else what is this 
and they're mm -hmm. going through it. And as they go through it, they come to the conclusion, oh, things change when I look at them, must like, things must exist because I look at them, which is a big philosophical uh, argument of like, why do things exist? Do things mm -hmm. exist because we observe them? Um, mm -hmm. As you go on, he decides, oh, I'm a god, clearly. Like, I'm manipulating all these things. Like, this world is for me. I must be a god. Mm. And then, as he keeps going, he becomes more humbled. Because he's like, well, no, there's something more here. I don't know what's going on. And eventually, he realizes you're controlling him. Mm. And he fights against it. That, that that's sounds cool, really cool. Yep. That's definitely like and a great sounding mechanic like Yeah. And I might have to check this out. It it asks things like, you know, what is free will? What makes you you? Mm -hmm. You know, like mm -hmm. it, you play a game like that and you think, Oh, it's just a puzzle game <laughs> and you end up at the end of it staring at a title screen for thirty minutes. Thinking mm -hmm. what? <laughs> Um, you know, and, and, and that's the thing is, you know, like, what's our mind? What is our, what are our experiences? What exists? You know, where are we? Mm -hmm. And what is free will? You know, stuff like that is, it, it's, um, integral to a good storyline, I think. Um, mm -hmm. yeah. And you see this too with uh, uh, other games. Like, I, I think one of us here is a uh, Skyrim fan. Oh yeah, that <laughs> that would be me. <laughs> so uh, a lot of people don't like Skyrim's storyline because it sucks. And I would argue, Listen, asshole. We we I would we argue. went through this. You got to shit on it already. You don't get to do it again. I would argue that they're right. right. The storyline is kind of lacking. Because it, it, <laughs> it, it's, well, let's go. Well, okay. It doesn't Fine. have big choices. It doesn't have, you know, it, it, it's like reading a, a book. It's good. Mm -hmm. It's not bad. I'm not saying it's bad. So tell you, you don't have to kill me in my sleep. <laughs> but it, it's missing a certain element. And it's just that it is a story that has been done time and time again. But then if you look at like a game like Mass Effect, if you think about it, it's very similar. There's this, you know, overarching enemy, it's coming down on you, same sort of story. And you have to stop it. But that game has such a huge following because you make moral choices throughout the game and they're meaningful choices that affect the entire game, mm -hmm. and like, like tell you, you can defend uh, Skyrim. I would agree with you that you know, like, it's a good game. And Listen, it, it, people who play Skyrim don't play Skyrim for the story. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's so that, that's, that's the definitely the last reason anyone plays Skyrim. That's the thing. But is like, what are the memorable parts of Skyrim for you? I think for me, like. The thing that is always memorable to me memorable to me about Skyrim is sort of like making my own fun in a way and that's not necessarily to say like the the fun that Skyrim provides for you isn't good enough but like I remember when I was a kid one of the things I used to do to make gold was to go into the fields outside of Whiterun and hunt deer and then I would sell the pelts to like the um the merchants in Whiterun, like just right right down the way and i would pretend i was like a, a hunter or you know i remember man i remember going through the dlc for the first time the dragonborn dlc and just how blown away i was by like at least what i thought of at the time was like a complete revamping of some of these like skill mechanics that they provide for you those were sort of the things that i always remembered about skyrim certainly not like the story of it all yeah, and that that's the thing is I, I think it's a great game in the sense that it's a game that you can immerse yourself in and be what you want to be. But when the storyline comes up, that's when people have issue with it because it's kind of bland. Not because yeah, it's and that's, a bad that's story, fair. 
but because there's nothing to hook you in and mm -hmm. that that's you know my point is that philosophy a lot of the time is that hook whether we realize it or not and i think that games are great on their own you don't have to know philosophy but if you take a moment to look at them and reflect on them and you look at that philosophy of it then it can make that game even more memorable and even more enjoyable mm -hmm. um you know and i and i feel like you guys could pick any game and start talking about some aspect of it and flush it out and become you know more of a, a philosophical concept from that game like Declan you play uh Persona right yep I'm I haven't played it but I'm sure that that's packed with you know deeper decisions and meanings than what people would look at at face value like like deciding to date your teacher or date um your classmate yeah <laughs> it's pretty good well, Persona, I mean, to be fair, also has like a lot of religious connotations to it, too. You know, like a lot of its enemies stem from different like religious iconography. That's true. Um, but if, if there was something I'd want to bring up, like based on um, psychology versus uh, like gameplay that I think we totally kind of brushed past before Tully, me and you. Um, I'd want to bring up Catherine mm -hmm. um, because to be honest, like the game itself, you know, it's fine. It's, it's a puzzle game. Right. But I have found myself sitting in those confessionals with the questions for like longer than I spent on the previous level because I'm like, what do I do? It's a huge, deeper, like understanding. Um, and, uh, you know, I don't think we, we really, like, talked about that enough in our actual episode, but I don't know if we were really thinking about that at the time. Yeah, but I, I definitely get what you're saying, because a lot of that game is, like, you know, the game, obviously it's asking the main character whose name I forgot because I don't like Catherine. Vincent Brooks. Yeah, sure. Uh, <laughs> but, like, a lot of that game isn't just asking vincent like do you pick this catherine or that catherine right a lot of it is also asking like the game sort of asks you like how do you view relationships like what do you take away from the situation vincent is in and you know the decisions you make as vincent sort of reflect on you as a person too in a way because it's like mm -hmm. you know obviously the the confessional questions like vincent is the one quote answering them as far as like the game is but you know you're the one making that choice for him like are you the kind of guy who thinks that like fuck i don't i don't remember any of the questions from that game but it's like do you think women are cool or not let's say like <laughs> sure like vincent is the one pulling the string to answer the question but you're the one who's like eh, fuck fuck women make him pull the women are not cool string and you know i think there's definitely <laughs> It definitely does make you think more than you would expect to. Yeah. Yeah. But I think that's what uh, Matthew is trying to get into is like the games can be fine on their own, but there can be an underlying factor that makes them better than they were on their own, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's like what, it's what draws you in. And, you know, a lot of, uh, a lot of developers too, um, intended that way they intend a game to be multifaceted so that you know uh, like 11 year old Declan could pick up a game and play it without thinking about any you know philosophical deep questions that might make him mm -hmm. you know break down in tears which I mean still does to some you know 27 year old <laughs> me <laughs> but uh yeah. At the same time, though, uh, you know, a, you know, a twenty-year-old can pick up that game, same game, and have a completely different experience. And it could be you, the same person who played that game in the past, picks it up again, and you realize all these things that you missed, and you can interpret them different ways too. Sometimes, if you start looking, sometimes you can like 
interpret things that they didn't mean for you to, but that are still cool. Like, uh, Spore. You know, like... Ah, uh, Spore. If you guys played Spore? I love yeah. Spore. Yeah. <laughs> Despite okay. how so, terrible that game is, I adore Spore. <laughs> so it, like, you know, face value. It It's kind of a fun creation game, right? You wouldn't mm -hmm. think, oh, there's philosophy in this, but then... As you go through it, you do have little choices, like be a carnivore, be an herbivore, uh, wage war on other tribes, or you know make peace with them, blow up other cities, all of that, take over um, mm -hmm. uh, galaxies or not galaxies, but solar systems hostily or trade with them. Um, so there's that, like that's one aspect of it. But then you could also look at it and. Uh, <laughs> You can look at the fact that, like, if if your character dies, you just kind of keep going with a new, you know, one of your species, hmm. right? And it's going over a long period of time, but basically what it's saying is that those individuals don't really matter. Mm -hmm. mm. It, it's the species as a whole, which is nihilism. Is like you know, yeah. Like our lives are a speck of dust in an infinite sea of specks of dust. Like nothing we do right. does anything. And even when you think of like the human race on Earth to the universe, it, it's nothing. Which can be a very right. daunting thing, but you can also look at it in an optimistic way. Like, well, we might make the best of what we have since it, we only get that one chance to do it, and we can work together and do a lot of things together like that whole species did in that game, you know? Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, and you can, you can look at, uh, you know, games that have fun mechanics like Fable, where it has the morality and you can do whatever you want. And it, it's just fun to be evil because mm -hmm. you know you can't do that stuff in real life. And then you can look at other things like Final Fantasy or um, Zelda that have deeper, you know, questions of good and evil. Um, or even like, you could even look at like Mario. Oh my god. It's like, you're not going to tell me that Mar Mario is like an existential view through Nintendo's. Here's the thing medium. though it's Mario. Right, is in the Mushroom Kingdom, which is inhabited by who? Mushrooms. Right. Also, <laughs> it's inhabited by the Koopas. Bowser's not a good guy yet, but you kind of argue that the Koopas are all kind of put down by the Mushroom Kingdom. Yeah, I mean... You know, so there's questions there of like, well, what what's fair? Like, yeah, Bowser's going about it wrong, but is he wrong entirely? Right. Um, this is like this is like the the game theory episodes. Like, is Mario a communist? And he's got the <laughs> fire suit on. <laughs> um, you, you know, I I never really thought to think about the fact that like the Mushroom Kingdom might be a like a a metaphor for no, racial dude. oppression, but. I guess that's where we are. <laughs> I mean, you could, but also too, uh, if you read the original game book, you guys know that the uh, the blocks are Bowser used magic. Oh yeah, yeah, they're toads. The yeah, yeah, it's fucked up. So when Do you think Mario's, Mario's hitting those the coins, like he's essentially killing people. <laughs> yeah. So who's evil? The guy who turned them into blocks, or the guy who smashed them to bits? <laughs> It's Nintendo that, who erased and, and, that idea from history. And the, the the mushroom power up comes out and you eat it. Yep. And then you know Yikes. again, look at another symbol game, Pokemon. Right. Ooh, that's oh, huge. Boy. Yeah, I know. But it it it's you know intended for young audiences and all. But yeah, it's made accessible. But then you read the Pokedex entries and you look at the lore of like the story that you're playing. And there are intense ideas in there. Yeah. Yeah. There's some pretty like, grim shit in Pokemon. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, with the Drift Bloom takes away children. Yeah. Yeah. 
grabs their souls. Drowsy yeah. eats children's <laughs> dreams. It's all like kids too. Yeah, and you know, like, like they're all uh, just horrible to kids. Yeah, and and Peta would definitely argue like you shouldn't be catching Pokemon. Mm. Right. Oh, don't worry. Yeah, Peta, Peta's done been fight. arguing that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Peta made like a but, whole Pokemon fucking Pokemon game. parody game, yeah. But yeah. but you could also argue that it is a moral obligation for people to catch every Driftloom that they can so that children <laughs> stop disappearing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god. I never thought they about got it. Pokemon like Rangers that. out there. That's so funny. Balls as fast as they can. Like, you could argue that you should eliminate certain species of Pokemon. <laughs> right. like, like, like they deserve to go extinct? <laughs> Jesus Christ. Do you, think, um, do you think that fucking Team Rocket cutting off the tails of Slowpokes was for the greater good of humankind? <laughs> no. <laughs> that was, that's not a good <laughs> But they grow back. So what's wrong? That's true. What's the difference between well, they like cutting off? It was off like a, ten million poker dollars. Yeah, but what's the difference between cutting off a uh, a slowpoke's tail and uh, shaving uh, uh, Mary for? Well, that's fair. Uh, I think yeah. The, the problem with like the this idea of like whether or not they should attack Pokemon. I think the anime kind of did that to us because it sort of humanizes the Pokemon in a way. And it, yeah. it makes us like it makes us view them as equal to humans, despite the fact that we catch them and battle them. So I think, yeah, yeah, I think that's the that's probably the main issue is like, what like what what really is the difference between like you know farming slowpokes for their tails versus like a giant pool of frogs that you farm for frog legs? You know, like it's just it's mm-hmm. really no different than how we we do it in yeah. real life. We just don't we just don't stuff like giant like ton and a half cows into a tiny ball and then make them attack each other (laughs) yeah honestly this is this is bringing me back to something i thought about a couple years ago i hope game freak didn't think they were slick with pokemon emerald having a red versus blue gang war (laughs) (laughs) no we we are not (laughs) team aqua versus team magma is not a metaphor for Crips versus Bloods. <laughs> We're not... not even that. The, the Democrats or Republicans. Yeah, that too. Okay, that's okay. <laughs> yeah, I suppose. I, I I know how it sounded when I said it, but I meant uh, Democrats and Re- Republicans to begin with. Yeah. But then I said uh, the gangs, and I was like, oh, Bloods and Crips. <laughs> I mean, like, you know, that's the thing is, you can you look at it like that. I mean, and. If you did, it, I don't know if that's how they meant it, but if you looked at it like a Democrat and Republican, right? Mm-hmm. Both of their sides are radical, overly radical, obviously. Right. They're extremes. That would be like, you know, extreme unfettered capitalism versus extreme uh, regulated communism. Yeah. And we've seen from both of those structures, neither one works. And Kyogre flooding the entire world doesn't work. And Groundon getting rid of all the water does not work. <laughs> exactly, yeah. There's something in between that does work, and that's, you know, Rayquaza. Um, which, I mean, like, if you if you continue with that, I guess you could argue is like the Green Party. <laughs> mm-hmm. But um, <laughs> not endorsing any specific candidates here. Just saying. Right. Um, I don't the, think the, anyone the on this podcast, time. at least as far as the main host, could name a single Green Party member, so I think we're okay there. Kanye <laughs> West. No. Hey, just kidding. He's definitely not a Green Party. Wasn't he Republican? Uh, I think Howie Kanye was, was a Kanye Party. Oh. Uh, yeah. Um, e- either way. But anyway, the uh, point is, though, that they like you could argue that. You could argue that. And that's the thing, is like, if you look at games as more than just their play mechanics, you find so much more to them. You know, and, and that can it can take some games that are awful and make them so much better. <laughs> um, yeah. Have you guys ever uh, played um, Two Worlds? Uh, no, but I, I remember you talking about it yeah. all the time when I was young. I mean, I didn't talk about it all the time. 
said. Anyway, I definitely it, saw the show. It has some, <laughs> it has some interesting like philosophical, like story points in it. It's a horrible game. I wouldn't suggest going and playing it, but mm-hmm. you can actually like play it through if you put yourself to it because the story isn't too bad. The gameplay is bad. The voiceover is atrocious, <laughs> but the story has interesting points to it throughout it not again i'm not saying that people should go play this don't please don't save yourself (laughs) but but that's the thing you can take some games that aren't great or that are horrible and by throwing in like some good narrative questions you make them amazing uh bioware makes great games but that's the thing you know mass effect um the older star wars games dragon age they all have intense decisions and that's what makes them so good that what that's what makes people go back and play them again and again and again and again because it's not just the same thing every time and also with like mass effect i've gone through and i've tried to be renegade and it's difficult like I, there are some yeah, decisions sure. that I can't do, and I've tried to go through and be a hundred percent Paragon as well. And there are some decisions I can't do. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you have to like hundred percent. Yeah, like, like Ooh. I always have to throw the guy out of the window in Mass Effect Two. Like I, I have to defenestrate. Oh yeah, that guy. <laughs> um, yeah, for sure. Like that, that's, and that one's not. You know, that one's like I just you have to. It's you know but there's other things too like um tai lang of course you're gonna break his sword he killed your friend you know like mm-hmm. no one no one's gonna be there and be like oh no i'll just let kai lang think he's gonna get drop on me and not make a fool out of him you know yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> you know, stuff like that and that to me it's because it's such a good game Mm-hmm. from those decisions i think a lot of the allure that comes from mass effect 2 is like it was it certainly wasn't the game to do it like first the like the sort of moral system that it does but it does it it does it very well for how early the like the concepts for that sort of system were and i think like you know, and it, it definitely also stems from this idea that, like, you know, some of the decisions you make are final. Like, Mass Effect 1, gameplay-wise, certainly isn't fantastic. Like, the shooting in that game is not great. Oh, the no. Like, the driving around the Mako in that game sucks shit. <laughs> but, like, you know, making the decision mean, to you, sacrifice... Probably, you mean to tell me you can't drive vertically up? Uh, no. Completely flat surface? That's no, I actually can't. possible? No, unlike, unlike, like, despite what Mass Effect and Skyrim would tell you, you cannot climb, like, it's, it's really hard to climb, like, a sheer 90 degree angle on a a vehicle of some sort, but I thought horses could do it, though, yeah, well, you know, again, Mass Effect would certainly lead you to think that, but, yeah, like, I mean, it's very rare when games, like, make your decisions like final in the way that mass effect does like i think a lot of early telltale games did it uh despite the fact that that company has since gone under rest in peace telltale games um but games like that where we're fine without them uh, well hey some of those games are really good but like you know choosing whether or not to sacrifice ashley for the other guy who i don't remember the name of because i always sacrifice him uh <laughs> like when you're playing through Mass Effect 1 for the first time and all of a sudden you have p- to pick between two characters who've been like through you the in- like they've been with you through the entire game it's like whoa holy shit and then they they stay dead right like that motherfucker is dead if you tell him mm-hmm. to go fuck off and yeah. like and through Mass Effect 2 and 3 like they don't come back like you're stuck with one or the other and you have to pick one and i think yeah. that oh yeah doesn't it like doesn't it cross your your playthrough through like all of them? Yeah, yeah. it saves it saves all the decisions oh, you make yeah. through the, uh, across the entire trilogy, yeah, that which I also really appreciate. Why don't games do that more often? I don't. Um, they're super cool. Hey, Telltale Games did them. 
Oh, well, you know. <laughs> I didn't realize you were such a, a Telltale Games ha- uh, hater. Listen, I have played one Telltale game, and that's The Walking Dead. And it was good. <laughs> it was very good. And then they decided, yeah, let's pump one out, like, every single quarter of the year. <laughs> I got really annoyed. They did that's get a true. little bit cash grabby with them. But, yeah. Yeah. but a lot of them are good, and they have you know, important decisions. The thing too is the the Mass Effect is that, so like like you said, Tully, definitely, the decisions are definite. They impact the future of your game, um, but they don't make them easy. And that's because they do touch on bigger ideas. Um, you got the Genophage, which is Oof. like, you know. Do you yeah. continue to condemn an entire race? Or that do you risk rough. condemning every other race? Because, you know, the, the genophage was a horrible thing, but it was something that did work. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it stopped the Krogans from completely destroying everything. And if you go deeper into it, the reason that happened, though, was not the Krogans. It was because they were uplifted too soon. They had nuked their entire planet. They weren't ready to be spacefaring. Like, they needed to get their own shit in order. And that's what you see in 3, that they are starting Mm to. Um, Another thing is that a big question is, what does it mean to be alive? Like, what, what constitutes a conscious being? Because you've got the Geth, and you've got the Reapers. And the Reapers are, you know, partially synthetic and partially organic, mostly synthetic. But the Geth are completely synthetic, yet they seem to be alive. So, you know, it seems like it would be wrong to use them as mere tools. And it seems like there has to be some sort of compromise between them and the Gorian. And then going forward, too, like in 3... There are decisions that are, you know, normally would be like, oh yeah, no brainer. But because you're at war and it's the entire universe, or not universe, but galaxy at stake, those decisions become infinitely harder. Mm-hmm. Then, mm-hmm. you know, not to say that we know what it's like to be at war, but they get a good little glimpse of it in that game. Like, war is a messy thing where morals become blurred. And these games allow you to experience different views of life and um, question different things that you might not otherwise think of. Mm -hmm. And Like it brings things into account that you normally wouldn't have to think about. Yeah, yeah. And... uh, some of the Telltale games did that really well. Some of them were kind of crappy. But, like, The Walking Dead and, uh... Was it the... Was the Wolf Among Us? Oh, I, yeah, I think that... Yeah, is, I think uh, it is just The Wolf Among Us. Yeah. Um, like, some of those, they do. They do the same thing. They, they make you, like, kind of second-guess things, and... Um, they introduce you to much more than like what you might think about otherwise. They have mm-hmm. those like hidden meanings and those additional, you know, those concepts and those like connections to other things. Like I said about Bioshock earlier, like it is based on Anrand. Don't go read Anrand, but <laughs> but you know like they took something and Mm -hmm. they made it into something entirely different while still keeping the core ideas. And that's, Mm -hmm. you know, to me, what makes something like a video game so impactful. And that's why I get upset when people say about like, you know, video games will rot your brain out or, you know, that they're a waste of time. Because they are just another way of taking in information, and sometimes 
it's better because uh, I would also argue that sometimes the gaming community are some of the like kindest people you'll meet because they've kind of just been shown all of these morals without you know being forced to study them you kind of just mm-hmm. pick them up normally and when we do things in video games like fable and we're being evil it's fun but we know we shouldn't do it like yeah you're not going to go take a crunchy chick and eat it <laughs> in real life <laughs> but yeah in in fable throwing a little baby chicken in your mouth and hearing the <laughs> as your uh, yes. character gets like five yes. evil points it's funny yeah, I, 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 I could never, like, do the evil runs in, like, any game. I always go through and do, like, the same stuff if I do it. Like, I'll try, and I just can't. Mm-hmm. And that's the thing, too, is it's just, like... I think it gets yeah. harder as you get older. Because those morals get more and more set. So it, it's harder to yeah. do those, you know, the renegade things in Mass Effect. <laughs> you play it more because you're like, nope, nope, can't, that's bad. I, I know. Yeah, I'm not yeah, a bad person. For sure. <laughs> yeah, you, you start to like actually solidify who you are mm-hmm. and what you actually believe, and it's like hard to be able to cross lines. Mm-hmm. I get it. Yeah, and I'm not saying that you know other games like you know, Call of Duty are bad by any means. They're still well, they're still fine in their own thing. They they have a purpose. They yeah. just. You're never gonna look back and be like, "Oh yeah, you remember in Call of Duty this when this happened?" It, it's like that's not what that game is made for, though. Right. Uh, well, I mean, there's there's one or two moments, like the only thing that has ever stuck with me in like a Call of Duty game is like when you have to take the shot on in Black Ops Two. Oh in that yeah. Campaign. You have to take the shot at the the um, guy with the bag over its head, and it turns out it was your boy. Yeah, like that. That was, that was sad, but yeah. But I mean, other than that, you, I agree. Like, there's not a whole ton of things that can really like grip you in those. I think yeah, that's but... kind of the thing, though, right? Is like, I mean, kind of the, in the same way that Skyrim is definitely not made for like story. Like, Call of Duty is definitely another one of those games where it's not it's not really made to make you think a whole lot. You know. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, and that's the thing. It's like I'm, uh, they have a purpose. I'm not saying they're bad. I'm just saying that to me, a great game has those deeper questions, and I think that everyone can benefit from them. Um, yeah, and, and I think that uh, a good exercise for people to do just for fun is to think of a few of their favorite games and then think about those deeper questions. Because mm-hmm. you know, sounds like homework, but if you yeah. if you do that, you're going to get more out of that game. You're gonna get a deeper experience out of that game. Um, yeah. And you know, some games make it easy to like get that deep experience. Some of them they hide them a little bit better. Um, another one is uh, Eternal Cylinder. Have you guys heard of that one? No, no. What is that? <laughs> it's a newer game, um, and it's kind of sort of spore-like. But you're just you're trying to figure out like there's this giant cylinder that's crushing everything um, eternally. It seems like, um, and you have to run away from it, and then you have to like try to get different adaptations, and try to beat this thing that's called the mathematician, and. Um, you know, at face value, it looks like, you know, a kind of cool indie game that, you know, has some creative game mechanics, but the whole game is an allegory because the cylinder is like, it makes everything the same. It crushes everything without discretion. And your mm-hmm. little species, the thing that sets you apart is your diversity and your ability to work together. So, like, you know, very simple game on the front, but underneath it's very clearly, like, even when you start up the game, it starts off with, like, a little intro about 
it every time and it's just like a short blurb about like you know three sentences maybe and it says about the cylinder has no discretion whatnot and how what makes you different is you know your diversity and then that allegory is just like it's the same in the world if we were all the same we wouldn't get anything done we wouldn't advance it's our diversity you know it, it, it's what makes us all different that makes us work so well together mm-hmm. and you see that in different communities even like within a community of different gamers you'll see different sorts of people different sorts of lives um yeah you know Declan and Tully you guys both do very different things but you're still gamers I you know go to school for uh, biology and philosophy I'm still a gamer there's people who are truck drivers and the game and Mm -hmm. all these different people have this thing in common that brings us all together so like the thing is that like philosophy in games makes them better but even in the community like it makes the community as a whole better i think yeah for sure gamers unite (laughs) yeah um definitely i yeah if we were all the same then like games wouldn't exist to begin with i don't think or we just get call of duty every year like we already do but that'd be it (laughs) um so yeah yeah and uh yeah thanks for letting me talk you guys ears off about it but um, (laughs) yeah for sure thanks for coming on yeah also uh and another thing i just wanted to mention is like so if, if people who are listening or if you guys uh do want to like look into more of this sort of stuff there's also like a series of books that's um like a pop culture and philosophy and you can get ones that okay. are like video game based so there's like i have one on me right now that's the legend of zelda and philosophy i link therefore i am um oh that's, cool. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's awesome um but yeah and it's just got you know different things uh different each chapter is by like a different um, usually an academic author who's made it fun to read. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, each one has like a, a little different uh, blurb about some sort of thing in philosophy, and they'll tie it in in a fun way. Um, but yeah, and like, you know, in Zelda, you got, you know, the question of good and evil, uh, morals, and even like identity and philosophy of time. You know, there's all sorts of things. Mm -hmm. So, like, those books, if people are interested, like, you can get them on, like, the Kindle store for pretty cheap, too. And, you know, they're they're fun to read. They're not boring academic things. What's the, uh, the series? Like, is there an overarching, Um, like, It's just, if you look up, like, pop culture and philosophy, uh, there's, like, two two publishers that do it one is like blackwell and the other one i think is like open court or something um okay and uh they've got them on video games they've got them on like some bands they've got them on uh tv shows movies comic books manga anime all that stuff but Mm -hmm. it's uh interesting stuff if you guys ever want to look into it nice yeah i'll definitely uh keep an eye out you know, anyone who wants to uh, read that kind of stuff, um, I guess we'll leave a link in the description. Yeah, we can do that for sure. But, uh, yeah. All right, um, so I believe we're going to take a break. Declan, do not stop your recording when I say we're going to take a break this time. Uh, but we're going to take a break, okay. and then Declan and I are going to come back and talk about uh, a little show we watched called Utopia. Uh, but in the meantime, mm-hmm. uh, Matthew, thanks for thanks for coming on. We really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me. Hopefully, I uh, didn't bore you guys or anything. <laughs> <laughs> no, oh, I super interesting. Yeah, I, I thought it was really interesting. I really appreciate you coming on and talking to us. Yeah, mm-hmm. thanks. It's good to have some uh, serious stuff. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, um, thank you. Yeah.
All right, so we're back. Uh, I hope you guys enjoyed the first half of that conversation. Uh, but yeah. Declan and I have some shit to get off our chest. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're both happy and upset. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, jumping from, like, super deep combos to this, though, like, <laughs> yeah, all in one. for sure. But, uh, yeah, we've been, we've been watching... Uh, Utopia briefly brought it up last episode. Um, I decided to watch it because I saw a Pyrocynical video documentary on it. Um, and uh, I just had Tully uh, join me in this experience, and uh, it didn't go so well towards the end. <laughs> yeah. So I think at least my plan is to keep this like at least semi-spoiler-free, in case there is someone who wants to watch it. Yeah, because it's really good. Yeah. The problem, we will preface this, the show was cancelled, so it ends on a cliffhanger. Yes. And it does not get resolved. It was cancelled twice. Yes, it was cancelled twice. <laughs> it got cancelled the first time, it got rebooted, and then cancelled after the first season. So there, there is, like, there's no, like, definitive ending to this show, y'all. Yeah, but, um, I mean philosophy i guess you could uh just think about it <laughs> yeah that's i mean that's what i did i listened to fucking i went and showered and listening to listen to lincoln park's meteora album <laughs> just like jammed out <laughs> right <after. laughs> yeah, I, yeah i had some shit to get through <laughs> but uh yeah i guess a general consensus uh, spoiler free i'm gonna keep it relative um i mean it's it's a very unique it's a uh, british I believe Channel Four TV show that um, aired in 2013, and they played around with some crazy like cinematography and uh, uh, sound, um, whatever you call that, sound work, I don't sound know. design. Um, yeah, and it it all came together, and it the the whole show was weird. Like, it's all insane, and, like, they got this crazy cast that knows how to, like, put it all out. Mm -hmm. And, like, they deliver everything amazingly, and I don't know why it got canceled. It was really crazy, because, like, the show starts out as just this sort of... I mean, literally the opening scene of the show is these two guys who walk into a, like, a, a comic book store looking for some comic called Utopia, and then, like when when the guy who runs the register at this place like gives them the information they need they i mean they just kill him and it's like 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 coming out of the gate yeah. swinging like completely insane mhm mm and like th this this show does not pull any punches it's all like in your face direct but at the same time it's like it catches you lacking every single time mhm mm like it, it it will drop things on you that you never saw coming and i think that's probably my favorite thing about the show is usually i can like i can predict what's gonna happen i had no idea what the fuck was going on the entire entire show yeah like at one point declan you said to me you were like i feel like i'm following along with everything that's happening but i don't understand any of it <laughs> yeah it's really crazy yeah. Like, this game, this game, this show just has so many, like, different twists and turns, and it, like, you think it's gonna go in one direction, and then it pulls, like, a complete 180 and goes in the opposite direction. It's fucking crazy. Yeah. It's absolutely insane. And I, I remember, like, it was just only, like, four episodes in, and I was like, I'm so lost, but I've never been more found, you know? Yeah. <laughs> like, it's so weird. It's really crazy. And, like, kind of like you, like, very briefly mentioned, like, the cinematography is just so interesting because a lot of the shots are from, like, it's sort of like, like, um, how do I describe it? Like, one of the things that I noticed is every time somebody gets killed, what they'll do is the camera will zoom out very far. Um, mm -hmm. Like, the shots are always very wide shots whenever someone gets killed in the show. It's really, it's a really strange way of doing it because it creates this perspective of like, you know, and like one of the shots I'm thinking of is they're in this like this gorgeous field and all of a sudden like someone just like 
someone just gets shot, right? Like they just get randomly mm-hmm. shot, and it's like, I don't know, just the the way they would always shoot the shots where someone like dies, and it it's in such like a very like a very strange perspective. I I always found that per- particularly interesting. Yeah, um, especially because in a lot of American media, when someone's dying or using a gun, it's always so claustrophobic and like zoomed in mm-hmm. to like where you you can't even really make out what's going on half the time. And with this show, it's completely different. Like you said, it's so just like like nothing is obscuring your your vision to what is going on. It kind of reflects the theme of the show pretty well because like a lot of the characters who do the killing in the show like they definitely they portray themselves as the kind of people who just like it's part of the job right like having to kill another human being is just part of the job and like you were saying like in a lot of american shows where like the killing is very up close and personal in it it's like it's like it it really makes you like feel it whereas these wide shots where you know a lot of the perspective is more like background than it is people it kind of takes away the humanity of the fact that another human being is being killed you know what i mean yeah it's it's kind of like putting you in their shoes i think that's what you're trying to get at there it's like yeah exactly like feeling how these machines is how i'm gonna put it because that's kind of how they feel um, are going about their job versus like an action hero who has to think about every bullet going through, and it, it, it's it's such a deep contrast to like every other media. Yeah, for sure. And uh, one thing that especially stuck out to me during the entire show, they have this like filter over the entire um, series that makes everything like every color pop out it makes everything seem kind of like a dream um versus like the gray filters that are usually put in place when dealing with like um killing and uh like what's the word i'm looking for like pretty desperate natures and they're they're putting like a happy-go-lucky colorful vibrant filter over it and it's just it it, it's so odd (laughs) it's so weird yeah because it's like you know all of these sets are just like gorgeous and like full of vibrant colors and then like especially because the story in the show is like it gets pretty grim at certain points you know and so with like with the really heavy points that this show like represents uh set back against this like like some like really gorgeous like scenes it's 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 really jarring yeah it's just and i think they knew exactly what they were doing oh yeah for sure like they were going out of their way to uh, make it seem like it's something it's not even though in the beginning the first shot is them faking a gas leak in a comic book shop after getting what they need it's like the amount of detail in everything is so intricate and like all the forces at play I, there's so much that like i could gush on for like hours i know i don't have the time for that i'm trying to wrap it up and it's so hard you know? yeah i mean it was oh. i definitely wasn't expecting to enjoy this as much as i did going into it but it despite the fact that it was canceled i I completely don't regret watching it it was truly like a fantastic piece of media to sit through it didn't seem like it was a waste of time like it like something usually would be if you if you found out that they that yeah that it was canceled it it definitely didn't feel it felt more like an experience worth experiencing no matter if the story went anywhere or not mm-hmm. like the story wasn't like a massive part i mean it, technically it was but like i could have gone without the last scene you know yeah for sure like if it stopped there perfect it would have been great it certainly would have been more satisfying than the cliffhanger it left us on (laughs) yeah because everything is going to shit (laughs) yeah spoiler no no spoilers but everything is insane from beginning to end yeah it's definitely a, a wild ride and you know like i said all the characters and the interactions they knocked out of the park yeah with uh what they were going for 100 percent 
but uh yeah that's uh that's utopia definitely check that out as well <laughs> yeah i'm i'm good with wrapping it up there yeah you can uh watch that on uh, amazon prime video S- support so support jeff bezos by watching utopia yeah right <laughs> everyone's favorite billionaire <laughs> oh man jeff bezos what a guy all right but i think yeah that's all that's all i got i think we're good to wrap up the episode here yeah um so that's the show um i hope you liked both parts um (laughs) of this uh delightful think fest and uh yeah um i guess we can uh plug our stuff just a reminder that next week's episode is cuphead it'll be coming out um same time same place you know the drill um our if you'd like fuck i messed that up keep that in because that's funny (laughs) um if, if you'd like to send in a listener question um if you'd like to do what matthew was talking about and think about a couple games and uh, how they impacted you and just leave us with that we can go over that in the next episode as well mm-hmm. um but you can leave that all at call a point podcast at gmail.com um make sure to give us a follow at call a point that is it and that is the end of that <laughs> um and that's on uh, twitter by the way <laughs> yeah that's our twitter <laughs> And uh, give us a good uh, rating on Apple Podcast. Um, I am still the only one who has left a five-star rating. I would like to see a couple more. Uh, you know the drill, you know, breaking kneecaps, that kind of thing. Um, hey, you said you weren't going to threaten our fans anymore. I'm, I, I'm not. I'm just, you know, go listen to one of our previous episodes if you want the stigma on that. Jesus. <laughs> um. But yeah, I, I love you all, and uh, that's it for me. Yeah, thanks for thanks for listening, everybody. Yeah, we'll see you next time. Bye bye. Bye.